Hey! You're listening to Talk of Shame, a Wamina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'm your host, Alia Moro. I'm an Egyptian-born, London-raised freelance journalist and author of the best-selling non-fiction book, The Greater Freedom. Having felt the impacts of shame, or Arab, as Arabs like to call it, on many aspects of my life, I've become pretty obsessed with the concept and the question of how we can rid ourselves from it. Throughout the season, I dig deeper into shame with the help of some brilliant guests. Shame breeds shame, so we gotta talk about it. Welcome to the final episode of the first season of Talk of Shame. I can hardly believe I'm saying that actually. What a journey. This is a finale bonus episode with Hey Sue from our sponsor, BetterHelp. We heard from her earlier in the season in episode three. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and check that out when she talks a little bit more about how shame impacts our mental health and our lives, our relationships, all the rest of it. In this episode, we'll be talking about cultural and gender differences, and she'll be giving us some tips on how we can become more resilient to shame. Figure out like what's important to you. Discover you know, what your limits are, what your perspectives are, your interests. Discover what you're capable of, your abilities. Go out and try stuff. Live in this world so you can discover beauty. As always, Heisu kicks us off by telling us what she thinks about when she hears the word shame. Shame breeds shame. Let's talk about it. It's actually really sad because one of the first things I think about is my own childhood. Um, I myself was raised by folks that are immigrants from a shame honor based society. And what I think about is just like those feelings of inadequacy, not feeling good enough, not feeling good about myself, feeling like I should feel bad about myself because of the variety of things that led to that moment. So I just think of just having a very poor view of self when it comes to shame. I think the word should comes up so often as well when we talk about shame. Like I should do this. I should be like that. I should feel like this. Mm -hmm. And it can really just stem to so, so many things. And, you know, I wonder what are your sort of experiences with the sort of things that tend to come up? How do you think that shame plays out differently between men and women, for example? Well, my disclaimer before going into that, of course, is like anytime we're making statements about the group of men or the collective of women, it's still generalization. So there's going to be exceptions to this. It doesn't apply to everybody yeah. in folks that identify as women or men. But in general, I do think when we're thinking about culturally relevant binary gender norms, you get this like set of conventional ideas that people buy into in terms of expectations of how we're supposed to think, feel, behave. Mm -hmm. So I even think about toxic masculinity and how that has an impact too when it comes to the way that we perceive and the way that we then experience shame. Generally speaking, I think shame does tend to impact women more in societies due to the underlying messages that women are lesser in the first place. Yeah. So this brings to 
mind, like the idea of shame proneness, like people that have a greater propensity to feel shame. I think women, a lot of the time, are in that group because it's almost built into the identity of women in a lot of contexts and places Mm -hmm. that you should do this or you should be that or you should be subservient or you should be in a position to make somebody else feel better. On the flip side, and generally speaking again, I think men may feel shame in various situations even more deeply because of toxic masculinity. You know, men may feel poorly about themselves due to like self-imposed expectations of needing to have a body that looks like a certain way or having power and status in your you know social group or in your community um, and just and bringing this like intense feeling of I'm not good enough. So that's some of the stuff that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We've been having a lot of this conversation, I think, in the media recently about how, like, traditionally women have always been portrayed as needing to look a certain way and needing to be a certain way. And, you know, magazines and all of that have kind of been feeding that for so long. And more recently, that sort of messaging is picking up for men as well in terms of how their body should look and all of that kind of stuff. And it's interesting to see how, you know, men are sort of starting to increasingly feel the the same sort of pressures that I think women have felt for centuries. Absolutely. I think it's also very interesting how, you know, women, I think we tend to talk about things more. Mm -hmm. So we have communities where our friendships are very important. We kind of tend to talk about all sorts of things with our friends. And I wonder what kind of impact do you think being able to speak about things has on the impact that shame has on us? Well, it's interesting that you have this observation. I think it kind of speaks to the way that girls and boys are socialized. And this comes back to, again, I, I know that this is about shame, but I can't talk about shame and not bring up this idea of toxic masculinity, right? Like in so many societies, boys are socialized to not express their emotions. Stoicism is valued, you know, keeping calm, keeping your cool and making sure that you have your head on, right, so that you can lead your family. While girls are socialized to whatever it is, let it out. Like, that's a girl thing. You go talk with your friends and like, you know, whether that's gossip or the things that are going on in your life in school, it's almost as though girls have a little bit more leeway as children to express that stuff for whatever reason. And you know, talking about feelings has somehow morphed into a girl thing. I know that I have felt a lot of shame for a lot of things growing up. And, you know, especially recently, the community that I have now on social media and just in my friendships, and it's made such a huge difference. And, you know, I've started going to therapy uh, as of a few months ago. And I think just being able to give voice to things and to have other people sort of say me too, or, you know, be able to connect with you or just realize that you're not alone in something just has such a huge impact on how we then feel about it and how we feel about ourselves. Definitely. Like what you're describing is the power of community. You know, that's that's one of these tenets of therapy is to help normalize your client's experience. There's so much power in realizing or accepting that you are not isolated in your experience and the things that you feel. Just knowing that others have experienced that, it helps us feel, for lack of better words, like less crazy. You know, when you feel like you're the only one that's going through something, that's when you start inflicting this idea that something is deeply wrong with you. Mm. But if you know that others are experiencing this too, or others have been in your shoes, it's suddenly like, I'm 
just a normal person. And that helps with our sense of self-esteem and self-worth. How important do you think it is to have a therapist who comes from a similar cultural background or someone who gets what you're mm-hmm. saying? Because, you know, I, I definitely felt that I've tried quite a few therapists in my time. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was one in particular and she was great, but I felt like I had to sort of explain my whole kind of cultural background Mm -hmm. before I could even get to the thing that I wanted to talk about that day. Because she just also had these assumptions of, okay, well, you're from the Middle East, which means ABC, you know, things that are not necessarily true. How important do you think that that is? This is a very juicy question. (laughs) Um, You know, therapists in graduate school, in their training programs, it's really drilled into us that it shouldn't matter. You don't have to be the same person as your client. If you are an effective clinician, you should be able to transcend beyond those differences because it's not about your personal values, your assumptions, your belief systems. That stuff should not be making it into the therapeutic session, right? But the the issue is that we are human. Therapists are all people too. And A lot of times we're bringing in our personal experiences, values, belief systems without realizing it. These are implicit biases, right? The the experience you've described is like someone may have a stereotypical idea of what somebody is because of the few things they may know about that culture or that place. And that can end up being detrimental to the therapeutic process. So while it's not supposed to matter, an effective therapist is not supposed to allow their personal views cloud this process for their client, it ends up happening so much of the time. So in my life experience, I find that it can be very, very helpful to find a therapist who has this similar background or at least firsthand knowledge of what it is. Because, you know, you're describing having to explain or educate on your entire cultural hierarchy and social dynamics and all this stuff. And I've had the same experience. I've had many therapists in Being in the client seat is when I really felt like, gosh, I wish I had a therapist that just got it, you know, Mm -hmm. so I don't have to explain this dynamic between me and my mom. To you, therapist, it might sound dysfunctional or it might sound harmful, but that's actually not even the issue that I want to talk about today. So I have found a lot of therapists who mean well, they get stuck on some of the things that aren't of issue to me or to my family. Mm. And like, you know, I mentioned having been raised by immigrants from a very different society and culture than what I now live in, in the U S it's so many clashing values, a lot of, um, you know, world ideology perspective and beliefs that I have had to learn to navigate and, and incorporate into my life harmoniously you know, being able to experience somebody that sees you, somebody that understands on a very deep level, um, I think it just, how can it not increase the level of empathy in the room? Empathic attunement, this connection between the people, that is such an integral part to the therapeutic experience. And if you don't have that deep connection with someone, it can not it can, and sometimes it doesn't feel like the safest place to talk about some stuff. So interesting what you said that you're taught at school that like objectivity is so important as a therapist. And, you know, I'm a journalist and that's something that we get told 
a lot as well that you're supposed to be objective and you're not supposed to have your opinion and and Mm -hmm. your reporting and I think there's been a real sort of shift in the conversation around objectivity recently Mm -hmm. because I think we're sort of starting to realize that actually it's not really possible to remove yourself and is it really the best thing that you can do like is that really the best way to kind of serve the readers or the client or whatever it might be it's a great question to ask. I think we should challenge these ideas. It's interesting to me too that it's like objectivity is such a focal point, yet this relationship that's supposed to develop between you and your clients is also very important. And it's like, how do you build a relationship? How do you build human connection Mm. by remaining so sterile and like without feeling of your own? Yeah. Well, because all these things matter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, when people say like, I don't see color or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. Right. Please do, you know. Yeah. Let's pause the conversation here for some words from our sponsor, BetterHelp. We carry the burden of shame with us for longer than we realize, and it weighs on us more than we think. For so many of us, mental health services are inaccessible. But BetterHelp offers professional counseling worldwide through video and phone sessions at prices that are more affordable than traditional online counseling. They also offer financial aids. Because we often need support between therapy sessions, BetterHelp offers a messaging service where you can text your counselor and get timely responses with security and privacy. BetterHelp's licensed therapists are ready to offer their broad range of expertise wherever you are. As a Talk of Shame listener, you get 10% off your first month with BetterHelp.com. That's Better H-E-L-P. Use promo code Talk of Shame and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Back to the conversation. Yeah, I'd love to speak a little bit more about that in terms of how shame plays out differently in different cultures. Mm-hmm. So I know I was reading something the other day which spoke about how there's this sort of community-oriented sense of shame, which I think is, you know, very much what we're speaking about. And then there's the sort of more individualistic, guilt-based value system, which I think a lot of the West ascribes more to that sort of side of things. What are your sort of thoughts on or experiences in terms of what of that? Um, so, you know, individualistic cultures, like a big one being the U.S. of A. This is where I was born. <laughs> this is where I was raised. So I can speak to this quite comfortably in this country through our education system, through media, through all kinds of input. We are socialized to think that people are autonomous individuals. You know, you hear things like think for yourself, blaze your own trail, swim against the current, go against <laughs> the grain, be unique, stand out from the crowd. Mm. These are all glorified mantras in Western and individualistic societies. So parents oftentimes in these cultures will foster individuality. They'll encourage their kids' self-expression regardless of social norms. And of course, that's going to be impacted by the parents' own adoption of various norms that they were raised with. And identity really comes from the individual distinction rather than you in the context of relationship with others. Mm. Now, when we think about collectivistic societies, which again, I feel comfortable speaking with because I was raised by immigrants from a very collectivistic and shame-based society. These kinds of folks define people in the relationship to their family, right? Family number one, sometimes to a fault. A lot of times to a fault, I think. (laughs) If I may share a personal example, so... I'm 33 years old and my parents still express hurt 
when I make decisions in my life without quote unquote consulting with them, yeah. you know, I still get this response like big decisions in life, they should be made together with the family. How could you have done this without talking to us first? Don't you know that your choices in your life impact how we feel mm -hmm. because your actions are a reflection of me and how I raised you, you know? So, you know, folks in collectivistic societies are expected to maintain the status of the group to conform to what is quote unquote normal, because that's what's going to help you be quote unquote happy. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes this is at the expense of your personal and individual desires and needs. You know, so my parents are from South Korea and the way that Koreans even talk about their own country. And I hear this a lot from my cousins and from like people that live over there. When they talk about Korea, they say urinara. That doesn't even mean Korea. It means our land. Wow. You know, like we are doing things for the greater of our country, our people, our families. So I think shame lends itself to conforming to social norms but it can be really detrimental to a person's sense of self. And of course, yeah. this is also context specific. Like if you were raised in one of these places and that's the only thing that you know, of course, it's going to be different from somebody that was raised somebody else and then moved to this country and experiences the stark contrast and difference. Mm. I feel a giant push and pull between these two things. But I don't think my parents feel as conflicted, even though they've lived now in the U.S. longer than they lived in their homeland. Yeah. But that's where they were raised. That's where they grew up. That's where they formed their worldview. Yes. I think it's really interesting what you said as well, though, that perhaps if you grow up in these cultures or in these countries, you'd feel it less. I feel like Yes, but I wonder if, you know, we live in such a globalized world now and, you know, social media and all the rest of it. And I feel like it almost feels like maybe we all are more pulled and pushed than we ever used to be. Oh, yes, I definitely agree with you. Um, so, you know, people our age certainly have more access and go searching for different worldviews and perspectives being globalized and connected through the internet. I really related to what you said about how your decisions reflect on your parents, or that's what they think anyways, mm -hmm. because, you know, I come from a very, the culture is very similar. And it's actually very nice to hear that as well, that it's not unique to Middle Eastern cultures. There are so many cultures that have these kind of collectivist mindsets mm -hmm. and we all have way more in common, I think, than, you know, on the surface someone might assume. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think outside of, you know, the U.S., Europe, I think a lot of places are actually collectivistic societies. And in that way, there's a lot of similarities to be shared. Okay. So do you think then that individualistic societies, they're raised less through shame, you think? Or is that still something that's quite prevalent there, just in a different way, where maybe it's not to do with quite the same things that we're made to feel ashamed for? I think the latter. I think shame is still pervasive in individualistic culture societies. We have a word for it. We have a definition for it. Um, but yeah, I think it just kind of manifests differently you might not have shame inflicted on you by your parents as much. Mm. Um, but, you know, hard to say for me since I, I was raised in a specific way and that's what I know. Yeah, well, there are still definitely societal norms that you're supposed to live up to 
regardless of where you live. Like in, in the West, we're told to be attractive as women and we're still supposed to get married at a relatively young age. Like that's still the expectation. Mm-hmm. I am thinking of that expression, which I think probably exists in most languages, some variant of have you no shame. You know, yeah. when people bring this up to to shape behavior to, you know, I think I said this earlier, something about maintaining the harmony of the group. Mm. And then depending on who you ask, you might even hear that like varying levels and degrees of guilt and shame are a good thing. Mm. Um, You know, without that stuff, what would society look like? Yeah, well, shame's been used as a tool for control forever. You know, we used to have the stocks. We still have social media shaming, you know, all of that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's still very much... It's very present in in, in society today, I yeah, think, and yeah. always. Oh, as soon as you said that, I thought of like a huge thing in the U.S., which is victim blaming, victim yeah. shaming, you know, and, and that's very pervasive here in this individualistic land. Yeah. And I think appearance as well, very much so in the West for, for women and, you know, for men, as we touched on. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're very much supposed to look a certain way. And a lot of people feel a lot of shame around that. I've been having conversations with my friends recently about um, all the filters that are on Instagram and how they completely change your face and, and how that makes you feel like your normal face is just not good enough. And you feel mm-hmm. shit and shame about that. Oh, those filters. Yeah, because you know, all of us are like, wow, I look really good like this. <laughs> and then as soon as the filter comes off, like that's the real you. And you may not have been feeling any kind of negative thing about looking at your own face before those filters. Yeah, they're so bad. So to finish, how do we go about becoming more resilient to shame? Um. Well, I'm going to imagine that most of the folks listening to this are already adults. Because once you're outside of your childhood, you can't change what already happened there, right? And it's really hard to expect kids to build up resilience through concept, through explanation. A lot of kids just have to learn through experience. So what I'm about to say and what I'm thinking about is really targeting adult listeners, right? Like folks that have navigated childhood a little bit and are out of it and hopefully coping, But I think it's really important to explore and dissect your own values, your own beliefs, your own personal opinions, that kind of stuff. Get really familiar with who you are. Mm -hmm. If you're not sure of who you are, start that journey. That is my encouragement and hope for you is to start that journey into self-exploration. I think that it's important to figure out your stance on various big issues. If you want to think of like controversial political stuff that's going on around you, figure out like what's important to you. Discover you know, what your limits are, what your perspectives are, your interests, discover what you're capable of, your abilities, go out and try stuff, live in this world so you can discover beauty. Um, And then in that way, you'll find out what matters to you and what doesn't, you know, when something bad happens that may result in shame, a person that gets themselves, a person who loves themselves deeply, respects their own beliefs and opinions, they're going to be less shaken up and impacted by the sense that they should feel any kind of way. Mm. So if you want to build resilience to shame, build love for yourself, you know, and, and that is like such a difficult journey for so many people who realize that they don't actually like themselves very much. So what can you do? You know, what are things in your life that you can take action on to turn into somebody that you want to be around? I think your most important relationship is with yourself. So nurture that, cater to it, take care of yourself. Yes, 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 yes. Do you have any tips in terms of how we can go about 
getting to know ourselves better and getting to sort of start to unpick some of these societal ideals and sort of figure out what our beliefs are? Mm-hmm. Um, I think reading is a great thing to expand your knowledge. So it could be as simple as like a quick Google search of some topics that come to mind, um, things that are of interest. And just expanding your knowledge base gives huge perspective. For those that have access, I think travel is like an amazing way to build some kind of perspective and sense of who you are in this grand old big world and remind yourself of Again, like what's important to you and all the things that don't really matter. And of course, my very biased answer is go to therapy. Get a therapist, somebody that you feel safe with and somebody that's going to challenge you to really look inward to dissect that stuff, like I said. I think everyone should go to therapy. (laughs) should be like compulsory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think it looks different in countries around the world, but here in America, we are required as school children to have things like art for a certain amount of time in school, um, like music classes, which I think is great, and physical education. So what you're saying about sticking in some kind of way to help kids with emotional intelligence, emotional expression, um, that sounds like a great idea to me. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to add as well, I've been doing morning pages for the last few months. And that has just been such a game changer. It's basically when you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you do is like grab a notebook Mm -hmm. and just fill three sides of paper just with stream of consciousness whatever comes to mind Mm -hmm. and that's been such a game changer for me because I think our minds or our body whatever it is there's something inside us that already knows the answer I think to a lot of the questions or a lot of the things that we feel but Mm -hmm. we just don't give ourselves the space to kind of access that And, you know, sometimes I'll write something and then I'll look at it and I'll be like, whoa, you know, I'm like, I've had an epiphany and I didn't even know I had that. I had that already inside me. I love that. I hearing this, I know that like writing stuff out first thing in the morning is probably not going to be something that everybody is into. So it's about finding what works for you individually and, and what makes sense for you. Just giving yourself the space to connect with yourself. Yes. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. This has been so insightful. Oh, thank you. Bye. I mean, what a mic drop. Thanks so much for rocking with us this season. I've so enjoyed chatting with all these amazing Arab women. And it's been so great to get all your messages on Instagram as well and, and hear about the parts that have been resonating with you and all of that. So thanks so much for listening, for engaging, for submitting voice notes. It's It's been a real pleasure. I hope that listening has made you feel less alone and like we're all here fighting in the trenches of shame together. I know recording definitely did that for me. As we touched on throughout the season, I think community and, you know, knowing that we are not alone is just so helpful in terms of getting rid of shame. So I'm really excited to continue this conversation next season. If there's any topics related to shame that you'd like us to touch on or any guests you'd like us to have on, please drop us a message on Instagram at Aliamuro or at Wimina. Talk to you soon. I'm Alia Moro, and you've been listening to Talk of Shame, a Wemina production supported by our sponsor, BetterHelp. Sound designed by the talented Nicholas Alexander. Special thanks to Wemina producers Amira Ahmed, Elisa Friha, and Ridma Ekinayaki.
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, download, and review. It really does help get the word out there.